Welcome to the Movement Logic Podcast with yoga teacher and strength coach Laurel Beversdorf and physical therapist Dr. Sarah Court. With over 30 years combined experience in the yoga, movement, and physical therapy worlds, we believe in strong opinions loosely held, which means we're not hyping outdated movement concepts. Instead, we're here with up-to-date and cutting-edge tools, evidence, and ideas to help you as a mover and a teacher. Welcome to episode 20 of the Movement Logic Podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah Court, physical therapist, and I'm here with my guest, Dr. Stephanie Prendergast. Stephanie is a pelvic floor physical therapist and co-founder of the Pelvic Health and Rehabilitation Center, which now has 10, I believe, locations across the U.S., including Northern and Southern California, Massachusetts, and New Hampshire. PHRC puts out a newsletter called As the Pelvis Turns, which is not only funny, but hugely informative and educational, covering an encyclopedic number of pelvic floor concerns. So if you get nothing else from this conversation, you want to subscribe to that newsletter for sure. And I will link to it in the show notes. Um, Fortunately for me, Stephanie lives here in Los Angeles, although you may have gathered from this introduction, she's an extremely busy person. And I am grateful that she's given us this time to chat on our podcast. Stephanie's passionate about educating professionals and regular humans alike around pelvic floor issues. And I can honestly say that I have lost count of the number of times she's told me something that just totally blew my mind. Today, we're talking about all things pelvic floor. And some some of the focus is going to be on hormonal changes, but a lot of it's just sort of like things that people maybe misunderstand or uh, symptoms or pain or problems, frustrations that people put up with that they, they don't have to. So I'm excited. I'm very excited. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So pelvic floor, you know, has been, it probably will continue to be kind of a hot topic uh, for movement teachers of all kinds, yoga teachers, Pilates instructors. But where I see a big disconnect is that a lot of the time, it's just considered an area that people are supposed to strengthen. Like there was that t-shirt at one point that I said, like, said something like, you know, may your coffee and your pelvic floor be strong or something like that. Um, how and and why is that idea of like, we just need to strengthen? How and why is that inaccurate? And that's a great question. And I am glad pelvic floor is becoming a hot topic. I mean, five years ago, people weren't talking about it. And so, of course, there's going to be a learning curve. But breaking it down simply, the pelvic floor is unlike any other muscle in our body. And I think it benefits all of us to have strength in our bodies, but the pelvic floor never turns off. So what's different about it is it has sensory and motor fibers, just like other muscles, but it has an autonomic component, which means similar to our breath is that the best way to relate. We can breathe without thinking about it, but we also have the ability to control our breath. And so with the pelvic floor is the same. It's always going to be active. And a good example of some of the reflexive activity is as urine fills our bladder, our pelvic floor muscles get tighter and tighter to keep us continent until we're in a socially acceptable place to release it. And so that's a good example of we're not thinking about it, and then we are. And Mm -hmm. so I think in people's minds, they think stronger is better. But because these muscles never relax, sometimes we actually do not need to strengthen them if they're working in conjunction properly with our core. 
-hmm. Now, in certain cases, there becomes motor control issues, just like we can have neuromuscular impairments in other parts of the body. And the pelvic floor may not be responding either reflexively or voluntarily as it should. Mm -hmm. But in certain demographics, it's usually the muscles getting too tight and overworked. So they actually need to be lengthened. And then depending on what's going on with this person, they may or may not need to strengthen because again, the pelvic floor should be working all the time anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sort of sounds like when people have, uh, you know, what we would consider like weak, but tight Mm -hmm. other musculoskeletal muscles where it's like, well, this, yes, it's not strong particularly right now, but I can't strengthen it until I'm actually able to access the full range of motion of that muscle. And so even though it doesn't cross a joint, there is a range of motion with our Mm -hmm. pelvic floor. So that's an excellent point. I mean, what we're both talking about is the length tension curve and the muscles can't contract if basically they do this. And this is what can happen in some people's pelvic floor muscles. They just get so tight that normal function is impaired. Yeah. Um, What do you recommend how well I mean, you know what I'm going to get to that later because I, I I think um I think that's that's a interesting question to sort of be like okay well then what do I do for that person but I I you know the same way that that I think movement teachers understand you know or or have an idea that there's strengthening that needs to happen and it's not to say that there isn't but it may not be the first appropriate thing to do for someone um I think they also understand the relationship between the pelvic floor and urinary continence Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, and I, and I, I hesitate to speak for everyone, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> um, but I think, I think that's like the number one thing that kind of comes up for people as far as like, oh, um, you know, I'm lifting weight and I'm peeing or something like that. So continence is, is a pelvic floor issue, but there's a lot of other potential pelvic floor issues, um, or pelvic floor health, uh, sequelae. And for people who don't know what that means, it means like if something's going wrong with the pelvic floor, there's a sequence of other things get get affected by it. Some that might seem obvious like incontinence or continence and some that may not. Um, can you speak to the connection of the of pelvic floor health and then other conditions like vulvodynia or other things that are common for women? Yes, absolutely. So women our bodies, especially in the pelvic region, have a very interesting intersection because of all that that does. I mean, babies, our menstrual cycle, and then all the things that you mentioned, urinary balance, sexual function. And so there is a range of impairments that people may be experiencing. We can start with the urinary component because you just mentioned. So there can be incontinence, stress incontinence is what it's called when people involuntarily leave the urine during physical activity, but there can be urge incontinence too, which is basically when they have the urge to go, all of a sudden it's so strong, they leak. On the other end of the spectrum, you mentioned some of the pelvic pain conditions. Usually incontinence is associated with weaker pelvic floors, except in athletes and teenagers. That's Mm -hmm. part of the female athlete triad. They actually may be too tight to actually have a proper closure around their urethra. So they also may leak but that's a different situation than a postpartum or a perimenopausal woman Mm -hmm. who is leaking. So we got to look at the the individual, but when the muscles also become too tight, there can be the main symptom of dyspareunia, which basically means painful sex. This Mm -hmm. affects one in four women under the age of 40. So this is not a menopausal painful sex. This is dyspareunia that's related to pelvic floor myalgia. 
that can also cause what's called vulvodynia, which just means pain in the vulva. And that can exist in a provoked or unprovoked situation. So as it progresses, if it's not treated, it may go from having pain with tampon, gynecologic, or sexual contact to, I can't wear underwear, I can't wear pants, I can't sit down, I feel it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's And I can't emphasize enough, it is a treatable condition with nine known causes and eight associated, but many doctors are still telling women, oh, it's just an incurable disease. It's not a disease, it's a syndrome. I get very worked up about it because I've been part of um, some of the nomenclature studies that have really mm-hmm. identified and went through the evidence for these causes. So if somebody's dealing with this, just know if there's an answer. Mm-hmm. If somebody tells you there isn't, you've got the wrong provider. Mm-hmm. The other thing that can happen with some of the pain conditions is the irritated bladder symptoms that can come with something called interstitial cystitis. I also think that that's a misnomer because it's pointing to a problem in the lining of the bladder but your pelvic floor muscles can make you feel like you have to urinate all the time and Mm. they can make you have pain when you do. So that's also a very bothersome symptom for people that gets misdiagnosed as UTIs and and a bladder disease. I was going to say, that sounds like a UTI. Like I feel like I need to go to the bathroom and then it hurts, but you're saying potentially that's an issue with the pelvic floor and not an infection issue at all. And to put the two of these things together, depending on if you see a gynecologist or a urologist, most people with this have both symptoms because it's Mm -hmm. coming from the pelvic floor. But if you go to a urologist, you may be diagnosed with IC. If you go to a gynecologist, if you're lucky, you're told you have vulvodynia and at least you have the word that you can look it up. But it's both the bladder, pelvic floor, and the opening of the vestibule um, are derived from the urogenital sinus. And so it's very common for people to have symptoms in all these areas when the muscles start to function improperly. Um, There's also constipation and bowel issues that are related to pelvic floor. And one of the things that can lead into pelvic floor dysfunction in an adult is childhood constipation. So pelvic floor PTs also work with pediatrics. And if a child isn't able to properly evacuate, it leads to faulty bowel mechanics where they're straining and we have bowel movements every day. So that can lead to a lengthening issue that then could cause a pelvic floor injury as adults. Um, There's a few other diseases that affect women, such as endometriosis, which is basically when the lining of the uterus has endometrial-like cells implanting in our peritoneal cavity, very painful periods, also known as dysmenorrhea. And there's a viscerosomatic connection. So when there's visceral disease, such as endometriosis, uh, SIBO, Crohn's disease, there's going to be somatic consequences to the pelvic floor because they share spinal segments of innervation. And so many people with these diseases also have pelvic floor dysfunction that can create pain, irritated bladder symptoms, bowel issues, sexual pain. Mm. Sorry, yeah, that was I mean, a little long-winded. <laughs> no, no, no. It's I'm always just sitting here like going, wow, uh-huh, wow, wow, uh-huh. It's it is it is interesting. I, I think for you know, those of us that work with movement, it is interesting to think about a muscle, a series or a series of muscles, I should say, having not just uh, you know, there it's a skeletal muscle, but it's also it it's involved with so many other uh, systems in the body. Mm-hmm. And I think it it speaks to this sort of disconnect, like you were saying, between if you see a urologist or you see a gynecologist, maybe they're not putting all the clues together. But also, um, 
you know, the, 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 the thing that I'm, I see the most or that I, I have experienced as well, the most, um, I'm just going to backtrack for a second. Some of you listening to this will know, and some of you won't know. I was diagnosed with breast cancer last year. I went through surgery and I went through chemotherapy. And once I was done with chemotherapy, I was like, uh, not to, not to be, you know, too graphic, but chemo involves a lot of GI distress in every, I'm not going to name them, but if you can think of a way that your intestines can be distressed and the resulting actions in your body, you have, I went through all of them, right? And often like the every, both ends of the spectrum one day to the next. So at the end of that, I went to see Stephanie because I was like, everything down here is just so confused by what just went on and feel like things are not functioning properly. And you know, I went in sort of expecting like, well, she's a pelvic floor physical therapist. So she's going to give me some like pelvic floor homework and some, you know, maybe I have to foam roll on something and da, da, da. But the conversation that we had that just blew my mind was, was about the, the health of the tissue and what was happening uh, because of the other, the other spoiler, not a spoiler, this is not a movie. I am going through medical menopause right now as part of my treatment. So all of the, um, uh, hormonal related changes to the tissue are also impacting the pelvic floor health. And I hadn't sort of put that together in my head that that, and I had a very, you know, eye-opening uh, session with Stephanie where she basically showed me a bunch of things. She was like, this is impacting this and this is impacting this. Um, can you, can you speak to, because I think a lot of our listeners are people who've been teachers for a while. They're maybe sort of close to uh, my age or maybe a bit younger, a bit older, but certainly uh, there's a chunk of our listeners who are either perimenopausal or you know completely in menopause and are having some of these things that are you know unfortunately just considered, well, you have to put up with it, shrug emoji, like dryness, burning, pain, all of that kind of stuff. Can you speak to how you know, getting pelvic floor therapy and, and also any sort of adjunct therapy that you think is appropriate for, yes. for women. And you know, it's not your fault you didn't put two and two together, but what blew <laughs> my mind when we spoke, you are an educated person in the medical field. Nobody told you. Nobody told And so me. I'm going to bring the rage because you have survived cancer and nobody told you that you're going to have painful sex, irritated bladder symptoms, and there's actually something you can do about it. Right. And I just, that is what upsets me the most. I've had several friends diagnosed with cancer in our age bracket, and they didn't know either. And, and then I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. So right. you mentioned a few very important things. There can be medical menopause, which happens with cancer survivors. There is perimenopause, which people don't realize starts as early as 35, menopause, and then the birth control pill are all going to put our vagina and pelvic floor into a hypoestrogenized state. And that- Can you explain it, what that phrase means, please? Yes. And so that basically means we need hormones in our bodies. And these four situations are in an estrogen-deprived situation. Our pelvic floor muscles, our vestibule, which I can talk about, the vulva, the bladder, the urethra, all have estrogen receptors on them. And if we are in a diminished state of estrogen, we're going to have somatic consequences even outside of what happens to the tissues that need the estrogen, which are the lining of the bladder. You know, that even independent of the pelvic floor influence, it will have some vulnerability to making people feel like they have a UTI. 
the vestibule is as one of my patients in dealing calls it the welcome mat. The vestibule, <laughs> the vestibule is when you switch from the vulva to the vagina. And that has a ton of mat. I love that. That's great. <laughs> the things that go on at our offices, right? <laughs> but they have es- we have to because it's ridiculous to. and it is a war on women. And I do bring the rage, but we also have to bring the humor as we fix yes. it. But that has estrogen and testosterone receptors on it. And that's one of the things that you and I talked about. And so also, it's not just the estrogen with the external genitalia. It, women don't even realize that we need testosterone too. And that starts to decrease. And when we're 35, it is completely taken away when you're on the birth control pill and it's gone by the time you're in menopause, medical or age-related. And so that is going to cause a significant amount of pain at the opening and the welcome mat becomes the unwelcome mat because it just hurts. <laughs> and it also surrounds your urethra. So then it's going to make it burn when you urinate. And both of those things are considered an organ, which then have that visceral somatic consequence to the pelvic floor. So your pelvic floor is getting weaker because you don't have hormones. And then it's also getting cranky because you've got a negative pain stimuli. And this creates a whole series of, of symptoms that are so treatable, but they're not understood. Mm-hmm. And so I really work closely with medical providers and I do have a solution for listeners um, because some tech companies are going around the medical system because it's been such a nightmare for women. I want to touch on the fact that this is also the 20 year anniversary of the women's health initiative. Actually yesterday was oh, the wow. 20 year anniversary of the first longitudinal study that launched in the 90s to study the effects of hormone therapy on menopausal women. And the study had significant flaws in it. The media got a hold of the fact that there were a few instances of cardiovascular distress and breast cancer, and the whole world went crazy on July 7th. There was a media frenzy everywhere. Associated with 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 what? but they were saying hormone therapy causes cancer and cardiovascular disease. This is not true. And the authors have since repudiated their own information, but because Mm -hmm. the media got a hold of it at that point in time, 60% of women, 60 to 90% of women were on hormone therapy and menopause. And because of that study overnight, insurance companies, doctors, friends, talking to friends said, throw away the hormones. Everybody cold Turkey went off. Do you want to know how, what the percentage of women are on hormone therapy now? Oh, sorry. I'm just holding my head in sadness and horror. Not enough, I know. probably. Uh, 7%. 7% of what? Menopausal women? Yes. And so women blood. are suffering oh. because everybody thinks it's going to cause cancer. And this is right. not true. And I can't say this enough. I have two separate lectures on this that I can share with you. And the North American Menopause Society just Monday released their position paper, again, saying the safety of this because the average age of menopause is 52 and women are living into their eighties, which means one third of their life, they can be suffering from all these things that they should not be suffering from because of misinformation and a media frenzy. And it's concerning to me because again, you weren't told that this is happening. Doctors didn't offer this for you. And most women, if they go to the doctor who delivered their babies and they're saying, Oh, I'm afraid of hormones. That doctor has five minutes with you. They're not going to tell you otherwise. Or in fact, they're going to tell you the wrong thing, which is like, oh, you're going to get a blood clot and have a stroke maybe. So no, it's bad. This is not true. The reason I'm so angry about it is because it directly affects the work I'm doing with my patients with their pelvic floor therapy, because I have no chance of helping with these symptoms if we don't have 
the proper medical management too. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I'm going to give you a moment to breathe because I do want to hear also about what the solution is for our, for our listeners, but I also wanted to sort of just really emphasize and reiterate. And I think, um, hopefully we're, we're, I know that this has come up on a, on a previous episode and I just want to make sure everyone's very clear. Hormone therapy is not dangerous for menopausal women. It's not going to give you cancer. And in fact, it's really vital to just like have, you know, to your point about the, the last third of your life, how about you're not suffering, right? How about yeah. we do something about it? And I'll say this as well. And this is just going back to my specific story. Um, I, you know, I know a lot more about cancer than I did before I had cancer, but one of the things that I now know more about is um, something called estrogen and progesterone receptive tumors. And I have a, so they call it ERPR positive. And my kind of tumor was ERPR positive, which means that's why I'm being put through menopause or trying to take the estrogen out of my body so that it's a unwelcome, it is a, my whole body is an unwelcome mat for a future tumor. However, even within that, I have been permitted and I currently am using both estrogen, well, estrogen precursor and also mm -hmm. testosterone, uh, mm -hmm. topical help for want of a better word for my pelvic floor and all of the associated tissues. And, and that, and I'm someone who's had cancer, right? And so there, there, nobody's being like, Oh no. And, you know, let me, let me also say everyone's tumors are different. Everyone's sequelae is different. It's not, uh, I'm not saying everybody with this could have done it, but I'm an example of somebody where, where, you know, we are still actively trying to keep estrogen out of my body. And even so I'm allowed to take care of my pelvic floor. And so that's a good point because you're talking about the genitourinary syndrome of menopause, which is yeah. very different than hot flashes, the vasomotor symptoms, the things that people think about. The genitourinary syndrome of menopause has only been a term since 2014, mm -hmm. and it is encompassing all the things that can happen. And it is safe to use local therapies like you're doing in this area that are not going to affect tumors in other parts of your body. Right. And I think that that's also something that people don't really realize if it only became a term in 2014, right. because it just, everything was called vulvovaginal atrophy and it mm -hmm. didn't encompass all the bladder symptoms. And so it's more expansive. And I really am encouraged by a number of young female urologists who are out there screaming from the rooftops about this because it needs to be different than it has Definitely. been. And can, who knew people are going to get the right medical information on Instagram. Right. Well, thank and, you to and, these and, people. Yeah. Yeah. And with that said, I had to go chasing after this care. You know, I, mm -hmm. I had to go to my oncologist and say, Hey, here's the doctors I've spoken to and here's what they want to do. And can you, you know, get a, can I get a clearance to do this? Um, this was not being offered to me in any way. Nothing was being offered to me in terms of managing menopausal symptoms, not just genitourinary, but also the hot flashes that I have, the irritability, all of that stuff. I have, it is so boring, the number of things I have to do every day <laughs> to just keep everything kind of like not exploding like a volcano, but I'm willing to do it because it works, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so, so you spoke earlier about some solutions or, or some something for our listeners if uh, are you speaking specifically about going through menopausal symptoms or just or any sort of like vaginal distress or pain or things like that um yeah yes i'm talking about sexual health and hormonal consequences that have been difficult for people to manage themselves not just in terms of their own fear which is a barrier a lack of informed healthcare providers 
but the cost, the cost of these medications is significant. And Mm -hmm. so there is a company that we have recently partnered with called Peak Health, and I can send their information in the show notes. Um, What they're basically doing is offering affordable sex therapy online, as well as consultation with a leading expert, the CMO of the company is Dr. Ashley Winter. She's one of the urologists that I mentioned with a female sexual health fellowship. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they're basically doing is reducing the cost by using cloud pharmacies. And so women can con- women can contact Peak. They will get a call back from their expert staff, set up with an appointment with the physician or a nurse practitioner for their hormone health and concerns. The second aspect of that is they have a sex certified sex therapists that are offering counseling for women at a very low rate compared to standard of care. So we, we, our patients need sex therapy and mm-hmm. average cost of these visits in LA is somewhere between two fifty dollars and $400 a session. They are offering it at one twenty five, dollars wow. which is something that is more affordable And because of the cloud pharmacy and the number of providers they're going to have across the country, they're actually going to be able to reduce the costs of things that can be as much as $500 a month down to under 50. And you may be aware that Mark Cuban also did something similar with his, can you imagine Mark Cuban is getting involved in menopausal health, but he is, and it's amazing. And so this is a similar concept. And Mm -hmm. so it's, they just launched, my whole company is working with them right now. And it has been such a great service to be able to offer, especially in some of our locations. We don't have access to the providers that you saw here or that I work with. Some of our offices were really struggling. I'm teaching my my staff one thing and they can't get it. Mm. So this has been a very welcomed solution yeah. when yeah. people are really struggling. And I think about the people who couldn't afford the cost of these meds and it's just not okay. No, no, that's fantastic. And we'll definitely link to that in the show notes so our listeners can, can look into it. Hey guys, it's Sarah. Laurel and I really hope you're enjoying the new Movement Logic podcast. We are having a, such a good time. We both really love sharing ideas with each other and getting sparked by things that the other person has learned. Our goal for the show was to help you feel the same way so that you can feel excited and inspired by what you're learning and even maybe take some of these ideas into your teaching. That would be that would be amazing if that's what happened. I'd be so happy because I, oh my God, we both know what it feels like to be uninspired, to be stuck in a rut, desperately trying to come up with new ideas. So you you take another training and it just ends up, you fall back into your old habits, the things you already know how to do, because it's too hard to change who you are as a teacher. We've all been there. The whole reason why we created the Movement Logic tutorials was so that you can enhance what you're already good at instead of trying to be some other different kind of a teacher. Every Movement Logic tutorial contains so much to help you do that. Hours and hours of anatomy, kinesiology, myth busting. Myth busting is maybe my favorite part of the whole thing. But most importantly, dozens of exercises that help you with strength or flexibility or functional movement, whatever you and your clients want to do in their life. Because we're so grateful that you are listening to our podcast, we have a podcast-exclusive discount. To say thank you for supporting our efforts with your years, what you can do is you enter the coupon code PODCAST at checkout to receive 10% off of your entire purchase. You heard that right. 
You go to movementlogictutorials.com, take a little scroll through all of our different tutorials, stick some of them in your cart, the ones that you're like, ooh, pelvic floor, ooh, shoulders, and then enter the code podcast at checkout and you'll receive 10% off your entire purchase because we appreciate you. So thank you and go forth and save. So I'm going to take a little bit of a, a left turn or a different direction here. We've been speaking specifically about issues that affect people who have female genitalia. I would like to speak also about people who have male genitalia because the, there is also a pelvic floor there. And, you know, as much as pelvic floor has become something that people are more comfortable discussing, I feel like the the sort of the part that maybe is still a little bit in the shadow is for people with male genitalia. Um, either there's not an understanding that they also have a pelvic floor or because so much of the focus has been on, on uh, you know, female genitalia, pelvic floor issues. Can you talk about like, what are, what are some common things that you see uh, in the clinic and, and how do you, how do you work with those conditions? So first, I, I think it's important to note that half of our patients are men. So mm. while we're speaking and it, there, women have certain things that go on that render them needing pelvic floor PT, our male patients are very underserved. They are always told they have chronic prostatitis or a prostate infection, and they almost never do. And so the symptoms that they present with, um, similar, urinary urgency, frequency, pain at the tip of the urethra, erectile changes, um, post-ejaculatory pain is one of the biggest symptoms that they see, that we see perineal pain. They can also have the anal issues and constipation. Um, but it is very, it's difficult to test a man for a UTI compared to a woman. So I think mm. we should start there and why this is always being, they're being prescribed antibiotics without even testing them. For us, we give a urine sample. We take antibiotics for a week. We're done. This is not the same situation with men in order to get an accurate catch because of the length of their urethra, they actually have to urinate milk the prostate, it's called a four glass test, ejaculate, then urinate again. The whole thing is very painful. It takes 15 minutes, nobody does it. They just empirically diagnose everybody with these symptoms once STIs are ruled out as having a prostate infection. Mm -hmm. And when men get a prostate infection true, it actually takes like three months of antibiotics. So it is a little porous, annoying creature <laughs> when there is actually an infection. The prostate? Yes. It's a little porous, annoying creature. Like, I like that. <laughs> I'm like, it's the one area on their bodies where I'm like, that's worse than women. Um, but because <laughs> but they don't have the vestibule, they don't have all the hormone things as much. But they, most of the men that we see have some sort of movement-based neurologic neuromuscular deviant that whatever they're doing during their day, whether it's 18 hours at a desk, whether it's a two hour commute or whether it's something like CrossFit or however they want to exercise bikes, some anatomic change has occurred. And it's not just the pelvic floor. It's almost always involving the entire lumbopelvic lower extremity chain that makes their pelvic floor not able to handle the load. Mm -hmm. And then they start to get all the symptoms that I just mentioned. And so it's a little less complicated because it doesn't have the hormone intersection, but it's also not right because they are not treated properly. And men, unlike women, women may go to five doctors, 
men are going to go to their one doctor. And even if those antibiotics aren't working, they may keep taking them. And it's important to note that some of the broad spectrum antibiotics like Cipro and Bactrim that are prescribed have analgesics in them. So they erroneously give men the impression that they have an infection because they feel better when they're taking it. And then Mm. they stop and it comes back. That's because of the analgesic. So then they think they have an infection again and may go back to the urologist and get another round. This is problematic because it causes extreme gastrointestinal distress. And as we know, Cipro causes muscle tearing in parts of the body. And so if they're on Cipro for a year and trying to work out, now we've got an Achilles tendon rupture. Now we've got a hip flexor tear. Now there's an adductor tendinopathy, and this is not okay. And 97% of the men, that's a statistic that came out recently, in a urology office under the age of 40 actually have pelvic floor dysfunction, not a prostate infection. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And a lot of pelvic floor PTs are women. In fact, almost all of us, I think over 90% of us are, and they may not be trained the way we were to treat men. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our practices have more men than women sometimes because the surrounding practices only treat women. And I think it's very unfortunate and I'm concerned about that. My background was working with a urologist when I started. And so from day one, we saw men and women with pelvic pain and I was taught on patients. If you go to a con ed course and there's only women in it, I can understand why they may not feel comfortable navigating their genitalia and feeling comfortable in a room doing these types of these types of treatments, but we really need to change that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you think there's any uh, reluctance on the part of a lot of the male population to, to see a pelvic floor therapist because they, f- for any reason, uh, you know, that they, they feel like it, it's, not for them, or if maybe they're concerned to see a, a woman who's then going to be like doing stuff to them that maybe they feel nervous about. I mean, do you think, do you think that's part of why they're not getting care? Or do you think it's really mostly about just uninformed um, patient care where they're just being given, you know, antibiotics for a year or something like that? I think it's both. Mm-hmm. And so we really work hard to make them feel comfortable. If, if you take a look at our YouTube page, the videos that we have posted about male pelvic health, have hundreds of thousands of views and men in the comments section actually interacting with each other, which just blows my mind, helping each other. And so by trying to put out educational content to make them feel more comfortable and case studies and success stories where they're reading on our blog, somebody who had the exact same symptoms, they realize they're not alone. And this is probably what they need to do because the antibiotics aren't working. And so we do our best to make them feel comfortable. And I've heard both sides from my patients. I've asked them, would you want to see a man or a woman? And some heterosexual men are like, oh, no, you. I don't want to see a man because we're doing transanal work. I am addressing tissues underneath of their testicles. You know, So I think it's both, but they feel badly enough. And it's obviously their vitality as well that they, they eventually make their way in. Yeah. And I've certainly had male patients where um, they came to me for a, you know, outpatient orthopedic, you know, musculoskeletal issue, usually either low back or pelvis related or something around the lumbopelvic area. And based on, you know, I would might have a couple of sessions with them or even just the evaluation where I sort of said, you know what, we need to back up. You need to go to a pelvic floor PT first. 
and they need to do some, you know, there's some, there's some underlying issues that are getting in the way of me helping you with what you came to see me for. And I think that's another, I mean, I do feel like that's a little bit of a, a net where we catch people sometimes who do yes. need pelvic floor therapy, but those are only the people that are having musculoskeletal symptoms, right? If they're just, you know, being, if they're told it's an infection and they just think it's an infection that's coming back and back, they may not be associating like their low back pain with, oh, there's actually a musculoskeletal disorder going on here that I need to address. So you're exactly right with that. And to touch on that more, and you and I have talked about this, I had no idea how pelvic and orthopedic got so separate. It should not be because it's all tied together. We're not talking about any of these things in isolation. But there is a very excellent paper that came out from our friends in Canada that showed that people who have low back pain or hip pathology, 90% of them had pelvic floor dysfunction too. Mm -hmm. And it's not being screened in ortho clinics. And maybe that's Mm -hmm. why some patients don't get better. And so we can also drop in the show notes, um, you know, if you answer yes to some of these certain questions, it's a high, it's a highly correlated with having a pelvic floor issue that should be evaluated. Mm. You know, and so people may not, again, put some of the symptoms together or think it's separate. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people have a hard enough time when they come in and they've got pain in their back and I'm like, oh, well, it's actually related to your shoulder. And they're sort of like, well, that's a totally different part of my body. And I'm like, well, it's pretty, it's pretty close. Um, it's not that far away. You know, we got this much room. Yeah. It's not that far away. And and it's not things things attached to other things, but I think, um, you know, having any real understanding. And I think it speaks to just sort of our, 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 you know, historic lack of education. And also it's, there's a certain taboo-ness around this part of the body and, and depending on your culture or your community or your religious group that you're part of, or any of those things, you may or may not be able to consider it sort of freely and openly and go and seek help for it. Right. It might be, it might be really difficult. Um, okay. Oh God, I could just, I like, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. <laughs> going forever. We need, we need a 24 um, hour session. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, okay. So let's say, uh, cause I want to give my, the, give our listeners something, some concrete things, um, you know, as movement teachers. So let's say I'm a, I'm a yoga teacher. I've got a, a private client that I'm working with. They came to see me because they're having low back pain, for example. Um, and maybe I'm having a hard time figuring out like, you know, oh, these kind of movements feel better or these things are helping or, you know, stuff like that. So what are some things that people can keep an eye out for that might indicate that actually this person needs to see somebody for their pelvic floor? Are there, are there sort of tips that you can give us? Yes. So it starts out as something that may be a little bothersome, but not alarmist. And so one of the first things that can show up for people is after exercise, after a yoga session, they feel like they need to urinate like every 30 minutes. They have a little bit of urinary frequency. It doesn't hurt, but it's there. And I mean, I know for my own self, I'm somebody who, if I do the elliptical, I have some pelvic obliquity. This is me, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. urinating for every 30 minutes and then, you know, time gets away from the time I was doing the exercise and then it's fine again. I need to work on my pelvic floor myself. <laughs> We're the worst. We don't do anything helpful for ourselves. Oh, so if I hurt my do... neck the other day and I was like, well, I'll just wait. It'll get better. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> I'm like, I'm still going to do it. <laughs> I, and I probably need to see one of my, my staff, but we don't have time for that. <laughs> so, okay. I mean, it, it does start out as like, you know, not bothersome. But again, if there's back pain or hip pain, I think people jump to strengthening before lengthening sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so listen to your body and see how you feel. And now that we're actually talking about these things, people may notice, oh, I have a little bit of pain with intercourse or you know what? It's, it's a little hard to evacuate my stool. It takes okay. me 10 seconds to start my urinary stream. Again, nobody's going to really do anything about that, but mm-hmm. those are like precursors to some of the provoked or the unprovoked symptoms that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. But I think everybody should look at the little thing that we can drop. It's a screening questionnaire. If you answer right. yes to any of the questions in these four categories, you might have some pelvic floor issues that are going on. Great. I think that's going to be a great tool for, for our listeners to, for themselves and, and for their, for their clients. Um, and I think as well, I mean, certainly when I went to P and, and you have to use this language far more often than I do, but I had to get over my own inner 12 year old boy to ask, <laughs> to ask my patients questions like any issues with incontinence, any issue with your, with fecal incontinence, any, you know, <laughs> is it, you know, cause I am extremely immature. Um, and I think, you know, that, that having the screening questions, if there is anyone who feels like, oh, maybe even, even if it's like, I don't feel like it's in my scope of practice as a movement teacher to ask somebody how long it takes them to start urinating. But if there is a sort of checklist of things that you can mm-hmm. just hand to somebody and say, Hey, you know, look through these. And if any of these are coming up, then probably we should also find a pelvic floor person for you or something like that. I think that's, that sounds like a, a great, um, uh, tool. So thank you. Thank you. And they will be very grateful. It is within the scope of movement teachers to ask these questions. People mm-hmm. come to us all different ways. And the one thing that we hear all the time is why didn't somebody tell me? And because the physicians may not tell them you have more time with, with your clients, you're with right. them more. And it is absolutely okay to ask. Yeah. <laughs> and then warn them when I get here, I'm going to be like, how long did it take the Tarsus dream? How many seconds do you pee? Did it hurt? <laughs> do you sit down on the toilet seat? <laughs> how much toilet paper do you need to use after a bowel movement? <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to get way worse in here. All of a sudden though, they're like, oh, and they realize that we do know what we're talking about with these questions, mm-hmm. but it gets really, we're getting Very in there. gritty. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we also have some questions that were submitted over Instagram and uh, some great questions. So these are directly from people who listen to the podcast or who are, you know, follow Movement Logic and and have some questions of their own. So two of them are actually uh, related. So the first one is, what are exercises you can do for stress urinary incontinence? The second question that's related to this is, when I do box jumps or hop overs at the gym, I pee a little. How can I fix this? And you also spoke about the female athlete triad. Can you touch on that? Like what that is? And then I think these two people are sort of asking similar questions. Maybe the source of the stress incontinence is not, you know, box jumps, but it may be, you know, running for the bus or something. It's so fascinating too, that you and I just did, I don't know how many minutes before we said the word kegel. <laughs> right? How did we get as far into it and not talk about that? Because it is, I so... Our bladder function is actually more complicated, I think, than people realize. It's not just a weakness issue. There can also be what's called pelvic organ prolapse. 
um, which is a descent of either the urethra or the bladder into the vagina. And that can happen in different stages from just a little bit through the vagina, maybe, you know, the bladder may be coming out of the opening of the vagina, which is always alarming for people when that happens. But stress incontinence is a symptom where your neuromuscular self is not working as best as it can. And outside of prolapse, what can we do about that? So the first thing we can also talk about is having people listen. Can they move their pelvic floor? Like as we sit here right now, can you squeeze? Can you push? You know, everyone starts to make faces, but (laughs) because we, again, it works on its own, but we also have the ability to work with it. Mm -hmm. And in a normal situation, when we increase our intra-abdominal pressure, the pelvic floor should contract with it. When people start to leak, there may be impairments, postpartum, perimenopause, things are just not coordinated as well as they should be. So it's not just about doing kegels. It's about getting your pelvic floor to work again as part of your core. Mm -hmm. And for some people, they may need to lengthen before strengthen. And then a lot of people may need to do kegels. And Mm -hmm. as part of core work, though, we usually integrate it with the breath and the transverse abdominis. Um, and learning how to control it actually when you're doing these higher impact activities. So it's going to be a range of things that can be provoking for people. Obviously, impact is going to be more difficult than static or non-impact activities. Mm -hmm. And so you also kind of need to meet your body where it's at until you can get to what you want to do. And if box jumps are causing incontinence, I think the exercises need to be backed up. You need to figure out how to get the pelvic floor working as part of the core and then try that again. Mm -hmm. If there is pelvic organ prolapse, certain things like impact and squats past 90 degrees um, actually can make it worse. And so we also have to then maybe modify the activity because we're talking about what could potentially be a surgical situation. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for people because sometimes I am telling them, I don't want you to do that right now. And this is why. But let's keep it a short-term temporary lifestyle modification and see how far we can get you. Right. Um, and does that answer? Ooh. Yes. Okay. The other, the other part of the question was what, the, what is the female athlete triad? So that, that's an that. opposite end of the spectrum. So we see a lot of younger women who are gymnasts, ice skaters, equestrians, and their pelvic floor muscles are actually very tight in their teenage years. And as a result of that, they also leak during jumps and impact and sometimes urge incontinence too. And that's because everything is actually tighter than it should be. They can't effectively close the muscles because they're too tight to keep themselves continent. They also may be in a hormonally deficient state. I mean, I know myself, I was a hurdler. I didn't get my period from January till March, every spring when I was in high school, I had stress fractures. My career ended my senior year because of the stress fractures. I was in menopause. I wasn't menstruating as a teenager. That should not be the case. And so I also think that they need to consider that and look at it as a symptom that needs to be addressed. We have to work on making sure they have enough body fat for the exercises that they're doing and their hormones are okay. And then their pelvic floor can be too, but that crowd does not need to strengthen. That crowd needs to be lengthened. And so it's a completely different treatment plan. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other questions was, what is the effect of having a cesarean section on the pelvic floor? What's the effect of using, well, there's, I guess this is three questions in one, effect of using tampons, diva cup, et cetera. I would imagine the C-section has an effect. 
It does. And it's important to know that pregnancy has an effect. So regardless of the method of delivery, pregnancy by itself causes pelvic floor dysfunction. As our pelvic girdle has to relax to accommodate baby, pelvic floor muscles have to get tighter to keep things in order. And there's just a a laxity situation that goes on, especially during the third trimester with pelvic floor and girdle consequences. Mm-hmm. So regardless of C-section or vaginal delivery, every woman should have postpartum physical therapy. And this happens in other countries with socialized medicine. It does not happen here. Well, and if we do have that, all this prolapse and other stress incontinence would not happen because you need, why wouldn't you need rehab after pregnancy? So then the know, C-section- it's, it's- you know, I, I, the same way it's like, you know, you would get your ACL repaired and you're like, well, yeah, of course I, I need physical therapy. You just had an extreme, you know, dramatic traumatic for a lot of your tissues event happen. Why would you not need assistance getting it back together? And I think a lot of women probably have that sense, but it doesn't seem to have made its way into the medical field. And it's certainly not automatic or probably not covered by insurance. A lot of, oh, ugh. Well, actually, the American Physical Therapy just put out uh, something last week, and the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology is acknowledging this fourth trimester, but a lot of, uh, it's still, it's the insurance problem. Insurance companies don't want to pay for it. And so postpartum is not a diagnosis. (laughs) It's not, right? So we've got to, we've got to call it something else, stress incontinence, back myalgia, they don't want to pay for that either, but all women should have it. And so with a C-section, there's a special set of circumstances that can occur with the C-section scar. Obviously it cuts through all of the abdominal muscles. So we are going to need safe rehab for the abdominal area, but because of where the scars are, there can also be ilioinguinal and genitofemoral neuralgias that develop, which cause sensory changes in the labia, the clitoris, um, some of the suprapubic area. And those nerves also go to the urethra. And so there can be urinary urgency and pain that can be associated with the C-section scar and the scar itself can hurt. And again, with manual therapy and proper therapeutic exercise, this can all be rehabbed, but women don't even know that they need it. And they've got a newborn they have to care for. So when it's baby number one, they're overwhelmed. And then add in baby number two, where they never rehab themselves from baby number one. And now they're really in a predicament and they have even less time. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it, I think it's tough for women and we just need to be set up better to care yeah. for people. Yeah. And then what about uh, tampons or diva cups or things that you're inserting? Any issues for the pelvic floor that you see related to that? I don't. I think that however people want to control their menstrual cycle is fine. Um, as women start to, if there is some vestibular dynia or some pelvic floor pain, the tampons may be uncomfortable going in and going out. That can also be an indicator. They shouldn't hurt and you shouldn't mm-hmm. be able to feel it. So mm-hmm. if you feel either of these devices that you're trying to use, there may be something wrong. Yeah. Okay. Um, slightly unrelated, but related to tampons. Uh, I, One of the things that I was told in terms of having stress urinary incontinence is if you wanted to sort of temporarily, not, not to, not that this negates the need for therapy, but if it like, let's say you're going to a party and there's going to be dancing and you don't want to be worried about, am I going to go to the bathroom? One of the things I was told is that you can insert a tampon as a way of, I'm not even exactly sure what it does. I guess it just increases the pressure 
or something. Yes. And that would be a way to, you know, for the duration of that evening where you want to have a good time and not be worried about, you know, am I about to leak here on the dance floor? That that's mm-hmm. a good temporary solution. Do you, do you agree with that? Yes. And in fact, there's an even better solution that's commercially mm-hmm. available. Same concept. Okay. It's called the Poise Impressa. Okay. And they come in sizes one through five. And they're basically like big tampons that go like this inside. And so it does mostly help if people, especially have incontinence because they have prolapse, mm. it's going to help provide some support that they may not be getting from the connective tissue or their pelvic floor muscles. Okay. Um, so I do advise people using them and they actually make people feel more comfortable, which I think is yeah. great. Yeah. Um, also, I really like the Thinks products. Um and they are basically underwear that are pads. And so mm. you can use them either for your menstrual cycle or they have versions for incontinence. So if you know you're going to an event where this may be an issue, the combination of those two things is like a secret weapon for women. Nice. Okay. We'll definitely link to all of that. So we got to, this would be a long show notes, a lot of things, but I'm <laughs> okay. glad because I feel like the resources really aren't out there. And, or if, if you're trying to find the resources, you have to go on some sort of expedition to get to get anything. And, and it just needs to be more, more publicly known. Um, okay. The last question that we got from Instagram, is there any hope if you are 77 and have already lost control of bowel function? There's always hope. We need to know why you've lost control of bowel function. And a lot of times that is related to hormone deficiency, pelvic floor changes, Um, there can be, there's injectables that can be done now to help restore confidence to the sphincter. Mm -hmm. And again, a lot of women may go down the fecal incontinence route because they had an obstetric injury 50 years ago, maybe that they were able to sustain over time, but as we age, maybe not so much. So there are treatments that are available both on the medical side. Can I ask, sorry, what is a obstetrics injury? Uh, like pregnant, uh, uh, childbirth injury. Got it. Okay. So sometimes people tear all the way from their vagina to the external anal sphincter mm-hmm. and they may struggle a little bit in the postpartum period, but they've got age on their side. And so with, you know, some intervention, right PT, they may be okay again until they start to get into the later decades of life. And I always think that there's a solution or probably more to be done. You just need to know how to find the people that can help. And a lot of times they are going to be dismissed, but there are experts out there that can help with that too. Okay. Would you recommend for someone in this situation going to a a physical therapist route or going to just finding a different urogenital provider or something like that? I think pelvic floor PTs, we have to make our village of medical providers. So if the medical side isn't going the right way for somebody, go to a pelvic floor PT and they may Mm -hmm. be able to refer you to somebody that they work with that's more involved in the specific symptom that somebody has. Okay. You know, that's how we work. They went to, you know, a lot of our patients went to five, 10 doctors before finding us on their own. And then, oh, I'm going to send you to these two. And now we've got a completely different experience happening. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Was there anything you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you or anything you want to plug or let people know about? We do well, have people that listen to this as well. So if, if you're hiring, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. we are hiring and we yeah. have an excellent residency quality training program. Um, you know, experience is not required as we know pelvic floor physical therapy is not taught in schools yet. And so people may have interest in this field and they don't know how to get into it. So one of the missions of our company is to actually help with that. 
um, and we understand and we get it. Our experience was so unique and different. The more I look at it and the more I see what other people do to try to work in this field, you know, we were lucky. We, I had a great mentors and immediate learning curve with the amount of patients I saw that only had this issue. So I, yes, I want to encourage people if they are interested in this field to reach out to us. We have people come to our staff meetings. If people are interested at all, we try to create shadow experiences, student internships, that type of thing. Um, I think the one diagnosis we didn't talk about was pudendal neuralgia, Mm. which I call carpal tunnel of the butt because because people basically can feel carpal tunnel syndromes and men and women, urinary bowel. Um, urinary bowel symptoms, and then they may have unprovoked pain in the clitoris, the penis, the perineum, the rectum. So that's also something that people can read warned about if they're starting to experience that on our social media. Mm-hmm. And I just thank you for doing this podcast. Oh. I always love talking to you. I always love talking to you and I always learn so much. I want to thank you so much for taking this time out of your ridiculously, Stephanie and I have been trying to get together socially, I want to say since January. And it's... Okay, we're going to do it this month. <laughs> <laughs> You're busy too. Uh, yeah. But thank you so much for coming on and, and for such an educational and informative uh, conversation. I know that our listeners are really going to appreciate it. Uh, a note to you listeners, you can check out our show notes for links to all the references we mentioned in this podcast. And you can also visit the Movement Logic website where you can get on our mailing list to be in the know about sales on our tutorials. You can also watch the video version of this episode if you want to see what our faces look like while we think out loud and talk to each other and what my quote unquote recording studio looks like. I mean, let's be real. It's a closet. Uh, And that's at movementlogictutorials.com forward slash podcast. And thank you so much for listening and joining us today. It helps us out tremendously. If you liked this episode to subscribe and rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, wherever you're listening right now, we would be super, super appreciative if you did that. Please join us again next week for more Movement Logic, uh, Strong Ideas, Loosely Held. 